Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Andrew Coney, General Manager of the wonderful The Harry in London's Belgravia. Coming up on today's show... Andrew attacks Phil. Number one, you're not as funny as you think you are, and you laugh at all your own jokes. Phil delivers his most intelligent sentence so far. But, yeah... No, but I don't. No, I, I, it's. And Andrew reveals what you can expect when you take on a role in the country. I remember my first day, they said there's some sheep loose on the course. All that and so much more as Andrew talks us through his story and journey to date. Andrew talks with great humour throughout and laughs are never too far away. He even lives by an ethos of not taking himself too seriously, and that certainly comes across. A massive thank you to Andrew for adding so much humour to our chat. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in hotels and I'm delighted to say that we've got one of London's most respected general managers, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. I'm delighted, I'm just going to go straight into this, delighted to welcome the general manager of the rather lovely Harry Hotel in London, Andrew Coney. Hello Phil. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Despite everything, I'm uh, keeping positive. My uh, my glass is not half empty nor half full, it's overflowing. Oh, very good. Well, that's a good start. You're setting the tone <laughs> and the bar very high here. <laughs> I, I fear you may live to regret that. But, um <laughs> Um, so where in the world are you today? I'm in the Harry. I'm uh, sitting you are. in a 10th floor suite overlooking the London skyline. So despite the fact that all the promises of decent weather, uh, it's a very grey day in town, but I can see the Shard, I can see the Westminster Abbey, I can see the Houses of Parliament and the London Eye. It's stunning. Very nice. Yeah, I'd, I'd hear you on the promise of hot weather or lovely weather. It's still quite warm, actually, but I'm just not long back from the dog walk. I was expecting it to be beautiful and sunny, but it is, it's is—it's grey. But, I mean, yes, first world problems, isn't it, really? I was in Hyde Park yesterday, and aside from it, you wouldn't sense there was any pandemic. I mean, there were people everywhere. But right. Actually distance, which was uh, was encouraging. But the daffodils were out. There were swans and ducks on the, on the water. It was uh, just such a stunning day, and you felt summer was back. Yeah. And then I woke up this morning, and <laughs> where did it go? Yeah, no, indeed. Uh, but it does give you a lift, doesn't it? The uh, the weather does make a massive difference. It's the contrast between the two lockdowns for me. Summer lockdown last year, the least was the opportunity to be outside. The sun was shining for a lot of it. And you didn't sense that uh, that, that kind of gloom that I think the winter lockdown has had. Because, you know, we have been stuck inside and there's been the, the shorter days. The, the weather obviously was pretty poor. And that has its impact. But maybe yeah. that's something for a bit later. Yeah, yeah, no, that that um, it has a massive impact because the um, as you've probably um, this is the second time I'm going to mention the dog. So that's two minutes and thirty seconds in, and that tells you how much I love my dog. But in the winter, there was not a walk that we came back from where I didn't have to stick her in the bath and give her a a, a shower down. Whereas when it's dry, it's everything's just better. Yes, completely agree. Anyway, I'm not going to make this forty-five minutes about the weather. Or your dog. I mean, we can talk more yeah. about your dog if you well, prefer. Well, let's just do that, yeah. 
Brilliant. Um, well, I, I'm genuinely super excited to have you on the show today. And and one of the reasons for that being, this is just a, a really simple thing for me, is that in the, the, the information that's out there on you in the public domain only takes us back so far. So I'm really, really keen to really understand kind of how you've got here and where you came from and, and all of these sorts of things. So let's just head straight back to the beginning of your, your career. How did you get into this wonderful industry in the first place? Crikey. Um, I remember being at school at that point where you're at that stage taking O-levels and uh, the school asked you, what are your career ambitions? And you had to write down three things you thought you'd be interested in. Right. And I put primarily I wanted to be an actor. Then okay. second choice was an undertaker. And third choice was hotel management. That's quite an eclectic mix. You're not kidding. Although sometimes <laughs> through my career, I felt I've done all three. But um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah they, I think they, it did raise an eyebrow at school. I went to a, to a grammar school that was predominantly producing future bankers, lawyers, surgeons of the world. And yeah, I did, don't think it was necessarily the, uh, the natural options for the school. Uh, so they didn't have a great deal of guidance for me either. So I had to sort of do a lot of my own research. Yeah. I remember going back to the school a few years later. I was running a hotel in London and they asked me to go back and present the prizes at the annual prize giving. Uh, the year before, I think they'd had the guy who broke the land speed record. Right. And they'd obviously had a cancellation the following year because they asked me at quite short notice. Uh, <laughs> I was really flattered. Uh, and I stood up in front of this audience of parents and students that all had very, very high ambitions. And they must have thought, why do we want to hear from somebody who's in hospitality? Because that's certainly not where our, our young boy's going to. Mm. And uh, by the time I'd finished, I talked about, you know, the, the opportunity for travel, the opportunity for, uh, you know, just exploration of, uh, of this, this great planet that we're on through, through the opportunities in careers. And just told them a lot of my life experiences, people I've met, and sort of brought them to the realization that it's not this sort of low paid desperation type of career. It, you know, it has great opportunity. So, uh, yeah, it was a real, a real experience. So out of school, I did some work experience. Uh, an undertaker's? <laughs> no, no I, I've actually never really explored that option. Right, I guess, right, right. I, pressed, I guess I've probably let that go now. Um, <laughs> that ship has sailed. It's a dead end career. Boom, boom. Hey. Hey, got, <laughs> you, got there. You, you could come back. That, that's, <laughs> let's set so, that standard up. So I'll tell you what happened. I, um, the family were going on holiday to Cornwall just for a, like a short break. And my parents had booked us to stay overnight at the Holiday Inn Basingstoke. And I only remembered this a few weeks ago because I, I just remember it was my first time in a proper hotel. Right. And th there were all these doors and there were people wandering around with all these keys. And uh, they all looked like they were just, you know, doing something really important. And uh, it sort of set my imagination going that, you know what, this is actually a little bit of a stage. It's somewhere where you can perform. You go to a restaurant, people are performing to you. And given that I didn't really think I was going to cut it as an actor, I thought, well, you know what, this is actually just a, a different type of stage. Anyway, yeah, well, then so true. We, yeah. we left the holiday in Basingstoke and went down to this hotel in Cornwall, which was run by this incredible woman who she ran it with her son. It was only about 15 rooms, very isolated hotel. And she just operated in such a hospitable way that she'd get up in the morning, she'd cook breakfast, and then that was it pretty much for her until the evening. 
And then in the evening, she would take everybody's orders in the bar for dinner. And she just ruled the roost in this most incredible way that I found fascinating. And uh, we got talking and she said, what do you want to do? And I said, possibly hotels. She said, well, come back in the summer and come and work with me. And I went back and did a, a whole summer season there. And there were literally four of us. And she'd make you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go for a swim which was horrendous. Then you'd have, to do, you'd have to do breakfast. Then you'd sort of sit around and wait for the post to arrive and the papers to arrive. And she would always sit there and she would have a Dubonnet at lunchtime and open two bottles of red wine. And bear in mind, there were three of us. And I was actually at the time about 15, 16. Right. And this was her sense of, this is how you run a hotel, you know? And uh, then the afternoon would go on. You'd take it in turns to have a, an afternoon nap. And then in the evening, she would work the bar. She would go around the room and she'd take people's orders. And she was just such an eccentric. I remember her going to one couple and they said, oh, we just were going to order the white bait, but we just heard you tell that couple there's no white bait. And she said, no, I didn't. I told them there was no white bait because they were ghastly people. You can have white bait if you want it. <laughs> and it was just, and everybody would laugh. And it was just like, you know, there was no, there was nothing wrong with what she was doing. Nobody sensed any sort of uh, malice. It was just such fun. Mm. And she'd have barbecues around the pool and she'd push people in. And uh, <laughs> I, to me, I did two summers there. And that's what it, it ultimately gave me the bug for, for the industry. And, you know, I will always respect her for the fact that she was a host. And, you know, she yeah. would sit there until the small hours, of, you know, having a drink with, with, with the guests. If you dared to go out for dinner and you said, could we have a key to come back in? She'd sort of look you up and down as if to say, you're going out for dinner? Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, I, I can't guarantee it. We won't be locked when you get back. <laughs> So uh, yeah, she was she was very mischievous like that. Um, You've got a lot uh, of characters like that, though, haven't you? I mean, they really do add a lot of flavour to the uh, to the experience. It's sadly, I think, as an industry, you know, a lot of that's been sucked out. Yeah, and you, you know, I, I, I to this day will always think you know a degree of mischief in what we do is is so key. Uh, it just brings a smile to people's faces because it's spontaneous and it's not just doing everything by the book, but. That's that's perhaps more about how I've, I've evolved. Yeah. So I did I did my uh, my stint there, and then I I got to the stage where I'd done A levels, and I didn't want to go to university. So I wrote to the holiday in Basingstoke and asked them if they'd take me on. And I still to this day have the letter in my loft which says no. Right. <laughs> so that was my first rejection. You got you got a box that's just marked rejection. That's not uh, not exactly the case. No. Uh, yeah. That, that makes it sound like there's a very big pile of them. Uh, and I would have a real complex <laughs> if I had to have a box that big. No, it, it, I mean, at that stage, you know, hotel groups were operating management training schemes, but a lot of them were graduate based. So you needed to have that university background. But right. the great yeah. the great THF, Trust House Forte, yeah. uh, they were doing one for school leavers. And they always used to tell you that they spent as much money on investing in a potential hotel manager on that scheme as British Airways did a Concorde pilot. Right. I don't know that I actually believe that, but it was nonetheless, you know, it, it right. sounded good at the time. Sucks you in. Yeah. It's a big time. So I, I did, I got a place on that scheme and uh, started my first nine months were in a kitchen. And if you bear in mind what it's like when you're a kid doing A-levels at grammar school, living with mum and dad, and then all of a sudden you're catapulted to a kitchen living in a in a staff accommodation in a in a in a, a small box room mm. and, and you're doing split shifts uh, boy was some awakening 
uh, culture shock. A huge culture shock. And I don't. I, at one point, I didn't think I was going to, you know, see it through. Yeah. I, I found it really, really tough. You know, just, just. I think kitchens have calmed down a lot since then, but it was a, it was a very volatile environment. Right. It's where my famous uh, experience with pate was uh, first realized that the head chef, there was a lot of hunting took place in the area and the head chef had made a pate specifically for a member of European royalty. It was one of the royals from the Netherlands. Right. And uh, he was overshooting and he was staying and they'd made this game pate specially for him. And we'd all gone downstairs for something to eat before dinner. And the chef said to me, would you go up, Andrew, and plate the pate? And I know that patties are notoriously difficult to get out of a, a big bowl. Yeah, there'll be chefs cringing all over the place listening to this. But uh, <laughs> so the trick is, you just dip it slightly in a bain marie of boiling water, and that loosens it, and then you can take it out and turn it upside down, and it pretty much just comes out. Right. And of course, I went to go and dip it in the bain marie, and I dropped it. Oh no! And I can just see it, sort of, just like you know, in those shipwreck things where the thing just goes down to the bottom and then settles. And the more I tried to get it out, the more I was scalding my hands. And of course, by the time I actually did get it out, it was just liquid. Can you imagine how the head chef reacted to that? Well, I'm sure he was delighted. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. I can still feel that little, you know, clip to the back of the uh, head. Uh, yes, mm. the leak on the back of the skull. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that I was, I, you know, I really, really was terrible at cooking. And, uh, it's not. It's been in about the last ten years, and my family would totally disagree because they still think I'm terrible. But I think I've actually, <laughs> you know, mastered some some quality of cookery. But I certainly didn't learn it in those nine months. And yeah. of course, being the management trainee, you got said to go and wash up more often than not because the person who was meant to be washing up wasn't there. Right. So I did. Uh, I did a year there, and then uh, then I came up to London, and then was uh, based at the Cumberland, and did uh, you know everything through F and B rooms. So I did two years there. And then uh, after the Cumberland, the uh, THF sent you to Oxford Poly for a year. So can you imagine that you're, you're one of a handful of students at Oxford Poly who not only are earning a salary, but you're getting all your books paid for and your accommodation. It was such, right. that was quite something. I, I take my hat off to, to them at the time because that was quite an investment. Yeah. I did do about 25 years for Trust House 40 come Forte afterwards. So I think right. I paid them back. Yeah. Do you know what I love about that, though, is that that's really, uh, I think, wonderful foresight from them to not just make it about academia and, you know, coming away with a, a hotel management degree or whatever, but actually giving kind of anybody who shows the, the right kind of attitude and, and desire to do it an opportunity to get into the to the industry, but, you know, learn it properly, not just come in and, and see where it, where you kind of go with it. There'll be plenty of people who say that unless you've actually done it yourself, it's very difficult to tell others how to do it. I don't necessarily always subscribe to that. And I think, you know, conventionally as an industry, we've often said you've got to have done rooms, you've got to have done F&B before you can even think about doing general management. I don't I don't subscribe to that. But I, partly because I didn't. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I would say that, wouldn't I? Yeah. But I think the the, the, the notion that, you learn so many of the tricks. You learn how people, you know, I, I don't want to paint a, a bad picture, but you, you see how people cut corners. You see how people you know, get away with certain things that as time moves on, you, 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 you've learned a heck of a lot of lessons that, uh, you know, people can't necessarily then pull the wool over your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So you were at uh, Oxford? 
Oxford. It was Oxford, Oxford University. Yes. Oxford Polytechnic in those days. <laughs> but whenever anybody says to me, where, did you, where, where, where did you study? I just say Oxford. Yeah, well, yes. quite right. I'd, I'd done exactly the same. <laughs> uh, and then straight out of there, and then I went to the Westbury Hotel. Uh, yeah. I, I finished my training there, which was more sort of duty management. And the GM at the time, a guy called Xavier Ruggeroni, he said to me, I don't want you to carry on on your course. I want you to finish and I want you to work in sales and marketing. I want you to uh, go out there and uh, beat the streets and, and drum up some business, which, yeah, was a big, big bit of a decision because it wasn't it was a divergence from me wanting to always be a general manager. And I, I guess there was probably a side of me that thought, you know what, this is quite an attractive, glamorous side of sales, uh, sorry, of hotels. You know, it means I haven't got to go running around, chasing around, uh, you know, looking for teaspoons and things like that. I, I, I'm the yeah. person that actually can sit there and entertain in the restaurant. It taught me that, you know, salespeople can sometimes be perceived in a certain way by the rest of the operation because they can sometimes overpromise or sometimes they can be appearing to be having a good time. So it taught me a lot in that respect. So when I did eventually then move on into operations, I, uh, I think I took those lessons with me. Yeah. So I did that for a, a year or so. And then Xavier took me to Portugal with him. He uh, went to run a, a hotel golf resort on the Algarve. And uh, I went there as director of sales and marketing and was traveling around predominantly around Europe, going to all the uh, travel fairs and golf fairs, promoting uh, the Algarve. That was, right. uh, that was exciting. And, and to this day, cannot play golf. And in fact, don't particularly like golf. But I'll maybe come on to that when we get towards the end of the career, because there's a good reason for that. Oh, uh, okay. So you're one of these um, why spoil a good walk kind of a guy. I tell you what, if you run uh, towards the, the latter part of my career, and I don't think we want to go through every single property, but I did at one point, I had done London for quite some time. And I, my first GM's job was in London. And I, I went from a very small hotel called the St. George's to... Uh, to some post house hotels and I was running a group of post house hotels and then I went to the Waldorf which was like a, a real career high a big role for me which was very exciting yeah and then I, I I got to a point eventually where I I went to the Cavendish in uh, German Street loved yep. it. it was one of my favorite jobs really 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 enjoyed it uh, had a lot of opportunities to do what I wanted to do and put my own mark on it which was fantastic and I was working for a company which was Devere and uh, I just got to a point where I thought, you know what, I've done London and like, London gets quite cyclical that, you know, it has its ups, it has its downs. And I thought, you know, I just want to go and do something completely different. So yeah. the opportunity came up in Devere to go to Slaley Hall, which is up in Northumberland. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a huge uh, estate. It's got two golf courses. It's got uh, loads of woodland. It's got outdoor pursuits. It's got you know, four wheel drive. It's got. A, a, a spa, a leisure centre. I mean, it, it, it's just the most fabulous place. And I, I said, I threw my hat in the ring and said, I'd like to go up there. And everybody was quite astonished because they all said, well, you're a London person and you don't do, you, you know, that's not really your your thing. And I said, no, I just really want to do something completely different. So uh, we went up there and it taught me that golfers, actually, if you have a four ball of golfers, three of them hate the resort and one of them loves it because the one won the game of golf the other three blame the course <laughs> and you know it's all your fault so yeah. Yeah, I, I i learned that lesson very quickly so yeah it's a it's a, it's a beautiful place but I, I i moved the family lock stock and barrel up there and with two young kids 
And, I can know, see the attraction, though, especially at that time of, of life with two young kids, a bit more freedom, a bit more space. You're not sort of city limits and, you know, and a stunning property uh, as well. I, I also assume that the skill set is very different. Hugely. You know, you suddenly get people coming in and asking you, you know, I remember my first day, they said there's some sheep loose on the course. <laughs> and I said, just tell me more things like that. That's the kind of yeah. problem I want to hear. That's, That's so exactly different. That's exactly why I'm here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, you, you need to know, you know, I know that grass grows at nine degrees. You know, that's the sort of silly things you start to pick up uh, right. because then you have to suddenly uh, let loose all the greenkeepers. You're in, in danger of making this uh, an educational podcast. <laughs> uh, Perish the thought. Nobody, like that. nobody would ever suspect that with me on it. Um, <laughs> you know, I look back at it and I think, you know, was it the right thing to do? Because it was a huge decision to move the family there it, yeah. it, from a lifestyle perspective i mean I, I remember the day i signed to go was the day london got the olympics it, it was announced and i thought what have you done right what a, what a stupid decision and then of course i think it was the next day that the, was bom- the, next the day. bombs the bombs all went off in london yeah and it was like maybe maybe it is time to take your family somewhere which is more secure and uh, you know a different pace yeah. and i have to say we're still there we still live up there and uh, and i commute and uh really? it's just it's oh, the wow. oh, you didn't know that i no i didn't know that it's the most wonderful place to live yeah my uh, my folks have retired to uh, northumberland and um we're it's just i'm going to go back to the dog here she loves the beach um, <laughs> and the beaches in northumberland although i probably shouldn't tell anybody this no don't uh, but, yeah they're terrible really some they're, of the they're worst horrible I've ever and they're seen. really really inaccessible you'll find it very difficult it, to find them yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. You know, there was a mixture of emotions for me because at times I felt a bit like Jack Nicholson in The Shining because right. in, the winter is very harsh up there and therefore you can't get very much golf in the winter and then occupancy takes a real hit because of it. Yeah. And, you know, I just sometimes thought I was wandering around on my own. Right. I, I always remember, and I know things are much, much better there now, uh, but I can remember there was a very Geordie accountant at the hotel. On my first ever morning meeting, he said in this very broad Geordie accent that the occupancy was 9% last night. And I said, 19? 90? And he went, no, 9. 9. And I just thought that was breathtaking. Uh, right. It re- really took me aback. But, you know, it, it, it's a very seasonal kind of business, isn't it, golf, particularly yeah. up there? And, uh, you know, we worked our way around it. We started to get, you know, conferences in the winter and stuff like that and made more of the leisure facilities. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 it can thrive. Uh, as as a, a general manager in an environment like that, then when, you know, somebody comes to you and, and says our occupancy was, was 9%, do you kind of automatically have to go into a, a sort of problem-solving mode whereby you, you start thinking, okay, well, that's not kind of where we want to be. I understand that it's a seasonal business, but at the same time, we, we need to breathe some life into the property in the in the down months somehow. You see it as an opportunity. You don't. I, I don't yeah. necessarily sit there and feel troubled by it. I think you know I've got my opportunity to make my mark here. Mm. But you you look at the team and you think, well, why are they not coming forward with with the ideas? And then you look at things like TripAdvisor and you see that the reviews are lousy because the people are bored. And, you know, boredom provokes the most terrible service. I've I've always said that. Keep people on their toes and uh, they're much sharper. Yeah. 
And, you know, it was just about sort of instilling some pride. And then I think that's one of the saddest things that you can walk into some hotels and there's no pride and there's no ambition amongst the, the, the people working there. And uh, I think that's predominantly one of the most depressing things that our industry can can be. You know, it's yeah. it's like, look, at, just take a look outside. Look how stunning these grounds are. Look at what we have and you know you start creating packages for families and for children we created this extraordinary harry potter walk around the grounds and, and people got very you know energized by it and uh that's the thing you know whenever i go to any hotel I, you know, I think it's about making people feel that it's not totally prescribed and this is just how we do it and this is what it's got to be just think very freely and openly and i'm uh, I may be getting ancient, but I'm still very open to fresh ideas and good ideas. And <laughs> You know, the worst thing of people that have been in the industry a while is, yeah, we tried that. We tried that five years ago. We tried that. No, we've done that before, and it didn't work. You know, if I ever hear myself saying that, I tell my team, you know, just scream back at me. No, but you may have tried it, but it didn't work then because you didn't think about it this way. Yeah. So you know, I'm lucky. Five, five years is a long time as well, right, in, in business terms. You're not kidding. Exactly. And so much can change. Yeah. Well, isn't that the truth? (laughs) So the difficult, the the most challenging thing for me, probably in my entire career, was making that realisation that actually my time at Slaley had come to an end and I didn't necessarily want to carry on doing that. I I really, really itched to get back to London. I'm one of those people that thrives on having contact with a lot of other colleagues. And if you're at Slaley Hall, you can go home and you can download I can download to my wife about what my day was like. When you're in London, you can call another GM and they've got the same problems or they've got the same challenges and you can just beat it around uh, a little bit. And uh, you've just got that network and that sort of support. And to me, that's what I really missed about London. I just missed the buzz of London. So I I made the decision that family were going to stay there. Uh, It was a mutual decision. And I was going to commute, which has meant that, you know, my two kids, I've spent... A, a, a lot less time with them than I would have liked to have done. My son in particular, because it was very much his formative years. My daughter right. was a baby and my daughter has grown up with it being very much the norm. Yeah. It's so much so that she loves coming to London now and she loves helping in the hotel. And I think one day she'd like a, a career in hotels. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's when you go home at the weekend, you make more of an effort and you, you try not to be, you know, dad who's slouched on the sofa watching TV and doesn't want to participate. And we too have a dog. So yeah, we've spent lots of good times outside. On the terrible beaches. I, I still don't know where they are, Phil. Yeah. I, I, you, <laughs> you can't find them. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so yeah, that's a bit of a career regret that, you know, I turned family life on its head somewhat for, you know, three years in Northumberland, should I have moved them all back down again? I think that would have been too much upheaval. So, you know, we've had a wonderful, wonderful life up there. It's such a civilized part of the world. And uh, you, you walk down the street and everybody talks to you and everybody's very, very friendly. Yeah. But you, yeah, it's that I don't see them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And sometimes I have to spend weekends here. I, I think there's nothing worse than, you know, you, you're having such a routine that, you know, come Friday afternoon, they all go, he's gone. And, right. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, you've got to keep, keep them on the tours again. Still. Yeah. You, you see the look on their faces when you say, "I'm not going home this weekend." Oh, <laughs> <you're> joking. <Yeah. laughs> I was about to take a breath, but there we are. Um, but yeah, no. But I no. I, I it's probably highlights that there's so many different ways and means of actually, you know, having career success. And and okay, you know, 
I suppose on the, the outside face of it, it sounds like there was a, a, a sacrifice there in family terms, but actually it still worked for you all and still does by the sounds of it. And that's just a, a we're a phenomenally adaptive species. You know, I, th- I don't think we ever give ourselves enough credit for that. And that's a sh- kind of shining example. Give it a go. See if it works. Yes. yes. And uh, and if it doesn't, let's figure out why not. And if we can fix it, then let's do it. And And that's kind of, it sounds like that's, how you've kind of approached it yeah very much so i think um in this industry we all have to have very tolerant and patient partners you know if we're in a relationship then you have to have you know whatever your your connection people have to understand the industry and that it's very demanding on your time it's very demanding on your uh on 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 your your mental stability at times you know there are there Mm. there's all sorts of aspects about hospitality that you know it's great to have family to to turn back to I'm lucky my wife was in in the hotel business which is one of those scenarios where we we actually met in the same hotel we were both working in the Westbury and I always remember one of those missives coming out from the organization which said you know you cannot have a relationship in work and it's like seriously in the hospitality business with the hours you expect people to do you're yeah. not allowed to have a relationship with somebody. I couldn't think of anything more bizarre. So, you know, I, I've never been particularly prickly about that in any way when I've been running uh, hotels because, you know, that's the only way people invariably can meet. And then to have somebody that actually understands the business and just gets the fact that, you know what, you may be not home that night because, you know, all of a sudden somebody's not turned in and you've got to be there to run a function, you know, anything like that, you know, that, that, that degree of patience and tolerance is, is critical. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's nonsensical uh, as a directive. Uh, well, it was even funnier because it was actually written by somebody who I knew had, had met her husband in a relationship <laughs> at work. And, I, I, and I, I went to her and I said, I don't believe you've just written this. Yeah. And it, and well, that's you know, it was comical. It is. It, it's seriously so. So you, you came back to London. Where Which property did, did you come back to? I came back to... You've lost me now. I opened the Intercontinental in... Uh... Yes, right, yes. <laughs> yes, um, so I, I joined IHG on a kind of um, interim basis because they needed somebody to look after one of their crown plazas. So, but there was always this, in the offing, this this new hotel opening in Westminster. And it was mm. the first, first Intercontinental to open in the UK for 30 years. And uh, I'd already done an opening. I, for some reason, I don't know how I've missed it out, but I did an opening in York, I opened the Grand Hotel in York. So I went there when it was a railway headquarters, turned it into a hotel, and, and, and it was Yorkshire's only five-star hotel. So I think that, that sort of put me in a, in a good light for opening for IHG. And I think what swung it for me was I'm a total political geek. So when, <laughs> when I was going through... In the right place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, it was like a kid in a candy shop because... The, the whole place was contrived to be almost like the Hay Adam in Washington, D.C., which is like the political hotel. It's where everything goes on. Yeah. And that was kind of my brief that you, you need to go there, create this hotel, but it needs to be very much part of the, uh, the infrastructure of the Westminster bubble, political bubble. And mm. uh, yeah, that was, that was my role. And it was uh, doing all this uh, networking and getting the politicians in. And it was, it, it was fabulous. And to this day, you know, it's, it's now a Conrad. It, it changed uh, its brand. But uh, to this day, you, know, you can wander through and you, you still say, 
gosh, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so over there. It's, it did become very much part of the landscape very quickly. Yeah. And uh, real salute the team because the team created something that, you know, you can't have politicians coming into something overly pretentious or looking like they're lavishing public money on something they shouldn't. So it had to have a certain tone to it. And uh, we gave the team a lot of guidance and lots of tuition around, you know, how does politics tick? And, you know, people need to be discreet. They don't want to be overheard. Uh, it was great fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. That sounds, and, 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 well, once again, a very different kind of challenge from, from what you've had before, a very different marketplace, even though, you know, it's still London, but a, a different set of uh, parameters to kind of work towards. Yes. And it's always... Um, Something that I, I, I think is quite important, particularly for an opening, but any hotel, you know, just go in and understand what is his purpose? You know, what is it there for? Who's actually going to use it? And how do you hone your product and your service offering around those people? Because it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a no brainer, really. It's kind of not uh, not too difficult. And, uh, I, and I think that's what we did. And, you know, within our first few months, we were doing political award ceremonies. We were doing political conferences and all sorts were coming in and it didn't become any particular political party either. So it didn't have that sense of, well, we don't go there because they go there. We had a, a total mixture. Yeah. You know, any opening is challenging and we all live in a world now where, and I totally get it, but owners have a real pressure to get properties open in a timely fashion and you can't sit there and say you know we don't have enough time to do this that and the other we want to do more training we want to do more of this you know if they set a date you've got to be ready and you've got to do it and mm. uh, I've, I've always said you know when you're opening a hotel you're not opening an operating theater you're opening a place of pleasure so as long as you know people come in and they're entertained you know they will understand that there may be a hiccups as long as you can then respond to the hiccups appropriately but uh, don't take yourselves too seriously and i think that's sometimes another crime in our industry that uh, you know we just think it's all got to be terribly Step sniffy oh totally yeah. absolutely yeah I'm, I'm glad you used those words because i actually had written down in my notes before our chat about the fact that what i love about certainly the the way that you present across your your social channels is that you you don't take yourself too seriously and the reason I kind of, and this probably comes back to your earlier propensity for wanting to become an actor, I'm guessing. But um, I, I saw you're a, going with this. Mm. a thing on your um, on your Instagram page, I think it was uh, around Halloween, and oh, yes. um, yeah, and you had some pretty weird things going on with your eyes in that post. But that's when I kind of I, I saw that and I realised, yes, this is what we need. We need more. People like this, you know, the, the bones of business are, are are in themselves serious and, you know, we have to make profit to survive, et cetera, et cetera. But around that, and especially in a hospitality environment, I think the the people who are not taking themselves too seriously are actually the, the ones that are, are now have the USPs. Yes, I, I think that's so key. I thought you were going to bring up our opening video. We did a video, a series of videos last year. Prior I'll let to... you bring that up. That's fine. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to be prompted. I'm on it. Um, <laughs> we did um, a series of videos for opening last year, and I donned this big, big, bushy wig and this big, bushy beard, and then just had a suit that was in tatters. And I walked up Cheshire Place in Belgravia in bare feet, and suddenly I see the hotel and this great light shines out of the hotel and I stagger in and all the staff are running around getting the place ready again. And it's like, 
I've returned after nine months of lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, I, I guess I looked a bit like Robinson Crusoe or Tom Hanks yeah. in Castaway. And, uh, and then at the end, I'm stood there in a suit, you know, clean shaven and holding a glass of champagne. And people were going, you can't do that. It just makes you look, uh, it makes you look daft. And it's like, I don't agree. You know, it's back to this whole thing. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. You know, we've all had this miserable lockdown. Let's let's make light of it in some respects and, yeah. and show that we're just bouncing back and we're really pleased to be doing so. And it got a, it got a very, very good reaction when it went out. It got, uh, got lots and lots of hits. So I, uh, I, I guess to me, I think I used the word earlier, mischief. And I used to have business cards that said chief mischief maker, which <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you give your business cards to people. Most times they don't even read it. You know, they just take it and put it in their pocket. Mm. And uh, it's funny when people would then look at it and they, is this right? It says chief mischief maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much my job. The rest of the team get on and do it all well. I just keep create mischief around them. Yeah. Uh, and They must love you. You know, I I spend a lot of time laughing and, you know, I hope that's infectious and I hope it, uh, it, it reverberates around the team. You know, when we need to be serious and when we need to be really professional, we do what we have to do. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the time, I it's even when it comes down to little things like amenities in guest bedrooms, you know, we do this thing that I call um, positive stalking, that, you know, we try to right. find out as much about a guest <laughs> as we possibly can. Yeah. So before they arrive, and we're lucky, we're only 85 rooms, so we can do our homework. But, you know, before a guest arrives, if you look at their Instagram, their Facebook, or, you know, even just their company website, you find out stuff about them. That Then if you just put something in their room that, you know, the pastry kitchen can put together in a little bit of time. You know, we've made, we've had a guest that loves yachting. And, you know, you put yachting monthly in the room, but you put a great big pastry yacht in the room on the high seas. And uh, they're just yeah. so gobsmacked. And it doesn't take a great deal. Now, yeah. aren't we all so bored with the fruit basket with the knife and fork next to it? You know, and there's yeah, always with, a pie. one strawberry. There's always a pineapple, though. And what, yeah. the, what on earth do you do with a pineapple? I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's wonderful. You know, I, I, my team here have a thing called Stories to Inspire. And we just encourage everybody to feel they are empowered, much misused word in our industry, but empowered to make decisions. So I, I like to think more often that it's around a positive thing. So a story to inspire is I found out that this guest, uh, and a great one is the, the child that came to stay that loved Harry Potter. And we knew they were going to the Harry Potter experience. Mm. And we got him a wand. And we told every single member of staff here, there were three spells. This this child has three spells. And if he says one of them to you, you have to do it. And it was either you had to freeze, you had to fall on the floor, or you had to pretend to be an animal. Oh, brilliant. And everybody from, you know, across the whole building all got into it, except me. I went and hid. I wasn't doing it. Um, <laughs> It was two days in my office. That's the longest I've ever been there. Yeah. Um, but this this child was so thrilled by it. And, of course, it rubs off straight onto the parents, and the parents just thought it was stunning. And yeah. it's funny, a few years, not a few years, a year or so ago, we've all lost concept of time now, haven't we? Because that last year just disappeared. Yeah, it's almost like in business terms it didn't really exist. No, no. I went to a conference where we were asked to send in examples of things like that. And the uh, chief executive of Chanel used it in her speech about, you know, know your customer, know your guest, create experiences around them, uh, because uh, that's what the world and the future is all about. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been a massive 
believer that actually when all said and done experience is kind of really all there is you know we can all go out and buy stuff and you know hoard stuff in your house but actually the experience is what gives your your life really you know deep and meaningful richness yes you know and if you're responsible then for bringing experience to people when they least expect it you know that's just a moment of magic Completely Pardon agree. the Harry Potter pun. It's all right, I let it go. Um, <laughs> it wasn't worth it. Um... <laughs> Definitely not. Sure, that's that's uh, L'Oreal, isn't it? Not Chanel. The, uh, it's not worth it. Anyway, I'm going to oh, stop now. Crikey, you're really uh, motoring now. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, sort of scraping I, the barrel. Yeah, I was going to say something really momentous, but I've forgotten now. You've just thrown me completely off. So oh. that's lost to the public now. God. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, you, you talk about experience. And I found the most fascinating thing was we opened in August last year and we wrote in August, September and October. And I've heard lots of examples of where hotels have, you know, almost apologized for what they're reopening as. You know, we're sorry there's nothing in the mini bar. We're sorry that you've got paper cups in the room. We're sorry for this, that and the other. Mm. And people are not very forgiving right now. You know, these staycations are about people's own money. It's not the holiday they particularly wanted. so. They've been cooped up. They want to get out and they want a luxury experience. We sold more suites than we sold normal rooms during that period of reopening purely on that basis because people just wanted to have that element of luxury and they they just weren't going to be patient or tolerant with you if you said, I'm sorry, we're not doing that because of COVID. Mm. Yep, we followed all the regulations and people again and again kept feeding back to us. We got it. We felt secure. The moment we got out of the car, we felt secure. We, we, we saw that you'd taken the, all the measures, but you didn't ram it down our throats. And uh, I think that I hope is a, is a lesson that we've all learned. I mean, how many of those boring videos did you see of people standing outside the hotel saying, we are taking these measures very seriously and then walking around the lobby and showing people in visors and face masks and spraying yeah. screens. And yeah. Who cares? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not coming for a face mask experience. Uh, no, yeah, no, I absolutely my, not. I want my cocktail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, more uh, than ever, probably. <laughs> well, you know what? We all want a cocktail, and I banged on about it for so long that come the 12th of April, you can come to the Harry because we have an outside terrace. But the number of hospitality businesses that still have to wait another five weeks, as yeah. do we, to open our bar and our restaurant, and yet you can go to a gym, you can go to a shop any kind of shop you can go to london zoo you can go to any kind of attraction uh and you can have your hair cut but you can't yeah. sit in a socially distanced bar and have a drink it's I, just I unfathomable don't get it i don't get it i um I, I still logically can't get my head around where they're coming from i had uh, my jab two weeks ago god you are showing your age now <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 actually it's funny because i had it done at the science museum which is one of the venues they've opened up in london for it Right, And they actually hang around on the street at the end of the day asking if people want to come in and have the jab because they don't want to waste any yeah. any of the product. Uh, so that's what happened to me, Phil. I just had right. to pass. Right, okay, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, we'll move on. I was on that's my fine. skateboard going past and they yeah. said... <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, I had it. And the next day, boy, uh, I was not for six. Yeah, yeah, you're not the first person that said that. I've had various different reports. My both my parents have had actually as of today, both of them have had jab too. Right. And 
both experienced a sleepy day the day yes. after, but nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've had some people, like you've just said, that, that just feel that they were knocked sideways. Oh, I've heard people have had... This isn't a great advertisement for it, because I, <laughs> I, I would caveat that by mid-afternoon, I felt fine. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I slept so well. I mean, yeah, I might go and get another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you found a, well, that's what happens in pharmaceuticals, isn't it? They find a, a, a separate use uh, as well, and they can um, they can go after that. You should ask Pfizer about that. They, uh, they came up with something interesting. But anyway, that's... Didn't they just, but let's move on. <laughs> that's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> um, I should actually probably highlight as well is that we we kind of jumped there a little bit. We were talking about the Intercontinental and then we didn't we didn't kind of round off the story that said that you went to the, the Harry, but we have literally everything that we've been talking about in the last sort of 10 minutes or so has been based there, uh, just in case people were unsure. But... Um, the Harry wasn't a Harry when I came here. It was Belgrave's Hotel. I was going to say that, yeah. It's actually a property that's, that's kind of steeped in history <laughs> in terms of what it has been over the years. Yes. Uh, but yes. I always love the fact that it's, it's kind of boutique nature in a, in a part of London, which has got these really kind of in-your-face five-star behemoths. Yes. And I really love that you within all of that, you can have this little pocket of boutiquiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting out and looking out of the window. I can see the peninsula uh, rising yeah, in front of yeah. me, which is going to be yet another big, big player in uh, in that kind of Park Lane set. Mm. But yes, around us we've got uh, we've got some some big names, and uh, yeah, we I think we fill a, a niche that's that's quite different. But you're right; it has had a number of different guises. It was the Sheraton Belgravia originally. Yeah. And then it was part of this U.S. brand called Thompson when it That's opened right. as, as Belgrapes. And it was quite revolutionary in, for its time because it, um, the Bellmen were all in um, check shirts, jeans, and Doc Martens. And yeah. people just sort of took a step back and this, that's not very Belgravia. And it was great <laughs> because it, it was confronting those sort of conventional norms and, and, and throwing into the, the mix something quite different. Because there are boutique hotels around here which are very typical you know, of the style of Belgravia, as you would expect. But this was this was challenging those norms, which I thought was great. Mm. So it was very exciting to come in. But uh, we took the, the decision. Our owner is uh, based in Hong Kong, a gentleman called Aron Haralela. And uh, this has been one of his uh, pet projects because he actually came over and made the acquisition uh, when he worked for his father. And uh, his father sadly passed away a few years ago. And his name was Harry. And... Uh, okay. Aron decided he wanted to create his own brand as a tribute to his father, named the brand The Harry. Um, we reflagged here and uh, instantly saw a great shift in numbers and success, uh, which was, was fantastic. And uh, so much so that we've just opened a Harry in Hong Kong. And that opened in December last year. Right. So we are now two. And who knows what next? He's got a serious ambition for a, a brand of boutique hotels. It's a word he doesn't particularly like. He's more enthusiastic about just the notion that the, that the hotels are very much about family hospitality. He's part of a, a very big family in Hong Kong. and They famously throw their doors open with some frequency and, and, and welcome lots of people in for, for Sunday lunch. And... Uh, that's his attitude about hotels. You know, you mm. as the general manager need to be hospitable. You need to be mine host. 
And that takes me back to the lady at the very beginning. You know, if I have to sit there at the bar with somebody at 11 o'clock at night, that's part of the job because you know, people, particularly in boutique hotels, that's something they grow to expect. Yeah. And that kind of familiarity is is another level of reassurance to them that, you know, I, I'm traveling on business and yet I know the guy who runs the hotel and, uh, you know, he looks after me and it just makes me feel in that whole pool of hotels in London. This is my my home. Yeah, I, 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 I totally can see that in terms of how, once again, it just it adds to the experience of being there when you know that you are going to be interacting with um, with the guy who calls the shots. It's it's a it's a good feeling. Yes, you, you know, as a as a manager, you, you sometimes get that call. Mister So and So wants to see you, and you you're like, really? Oh dear, why? And you go upstairs, and it's just because they they just want to have a chat, and it's just mm. there's there's nothing sinister about it. You know, you, you have to snap out of that 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 feeling that you know it, it, it's ever going to be something uh, something's wrong. No. Yeah, absolutely. So how, I mean, I'm loath to ask the question, but how, how has it been for you this last year in this lovely state of the world that we're in? <laughs> Where do I start? Yeah, um, got another it, hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Harry's are very much a family hotel, not only just in its principles and its, its offering, but also in terms of team. So, We've got a lot of people who've been here for some time now. And we had to take some tough decisions last year. We had to let some people go. And that was horrendous, mm. really horrendous. Uh, you know, heartbreaking, because you don't like dismantling what you've put together. And I yeah. think we've achieved some great stuff together. But we had to do it, and uh, it, it was the right thing for the business. However, we've tried to keep people, uh, you know, uh, we've tried to sustain their engagement, their interest over the year. And uh, we've run all sorts of things. We've had cocktail making, we've had coffee making and testing and all of that over Zoom. We've even had escape rooms. We've had yoga. We've had meditation. So we throw a lot of stuff out there like that. And uh, we try to keep communicating and just, but it's tough because, yeah. you know, we got to August and we got everybody back in and uh, we did a menu tasting and we said, we're opening the doors tomorrow. We kept everybody distance, but we did try to sort of just get that sense of you're all back. Come on, energize. This is it. And within three months, we were shut again. And then we opened yeah. again. And then we shut again. And we're still shut. And it's like you're treating the people like light switches, you know, on, off, on, off. And then back to my being, wanting to be an actor, you know, a lot of these people are entertainers or they thrive on that connection with people, you know, communicating with people, you know, delivering service isn't something you can just do all of a sudden, you know, it's something that's in your blood. It's, it's something you just, you're passionate about delivering. And, you know, these poor people have been essentially caged for a very long time. And all of a sudden, you know, on April the 12th, I'll ask them all to come back or a number of them to come back and, and just resume what they do and yeah. they're very professional and they're very good you know bouncing back but i do repeat this this winter lockdown has been very very tough and i i, I have this sense when we came back last time i sat down with every single person individually and just said how do you feel you know if there's no shame in telling me if you feel lousy there's no shame in telling me that you want help and i was quite surprised by some of the responses uh, a lot of people just told it as it was and yeah. uh it really woke me up to what's going on. And in terms of mental health, 
that I experienced it in very close quarters uh, in family, that somebody very close to me, I was pretty sure was on the brink of a nervous breakdown. Right. And I, you just get to that point where you think, well, you know, if you'd said to me a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, what's your take on mental health? I would be, well, there's a helpline on hospitality action. Whereas now I'd be so much more proactive about it and so much more conscious of it. You know, and people will come back in the next few weeks and, and, and you're going to have to be very, very wary of certain behaviours and certain signals that potentially you would be in a very dismissive or very more uh, assertive about. You're going to have to be a, perhaps a degree more patient and understanding and just you know, get, get to, under the skin of what may be going on. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it, it has been good for that if i can use the word good just in terms of i suppose snapping us all out of our kind of regular routines and and actually putting a lot of things front and center uh, you know the discussion and actually then the awareness of how we can move forward better i i really love the idea of, of the fact that you you sit down individually with your team and kind of give them the forum and the um the the space to actually just call it as it is because I think there's uh, that's that's something that I, I think I would definitely in my own business I would move forward with categorically is just to to really truly understand and give people the the forum to 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 let them know that whatever's going on let's let's share it you know don't don't let it fester into something that's uh, that's going to be much bigger of a a problem let's all help each other just get uh, better. I completely agree. And I used that example of my family when I was talking to each and every member of staff here because I didn't want them to think I was just ticking a box or just doing the exercise purely just to sort of satisfy something that I didn't necessarily have to do. Yeah, I felt I wanted to be genuine and I wanted them to know I was genuine and if they wanted to open up, they definitely could. And that's no easy thing to do certainly because of the relationship because I'm the general manager and, and they're not and therefore yeah. this is the boss sitting here talking to me and you know what I, if I sat and had lunch with him we might talk about what was on the tv last night or you know who won the football but to talk to him about my mental health that's that's challenging so for me to be able to give them that degree of confidence that I'm not just sitting here for the sake of it and I really genuinely do care and I really do want to know and I really will help if if, you, if that's what it takes and as i said you'd be very surprised by some of the people that did open up and uh good on them um i'm very proud of them for doing so there yep. is absolutely no shame and this this in years to come will turn around and we'll look at it and say there's never been anything like it and look at the impact it's had now i have a 15 going on 16 year old daughter you know a year has been ripped out of her life mm. and we live we live in rural northumberland so it's not like she's able to step out the door and go and chat to friends you know it's all over social media that's the only way they they communicate and i think that's just that's not how a 15 year old grows up you know yeah you and i when we were 15 were probably doing things we don't want to tell anybody about but at least we were doing them <laughs> yeah we definitely don't need to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> I was surprised I didn't feed you the line there. You were going to say something like you were riding your penny farthing on the curb or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about these uh, old things that used to go on the rail tracks, you know, where you one side pulls up and one side pulls down. Oh, yes, um, yes. 
<laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, Thank we can you. definitely move on. We can definitely move on. But no, you're 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 absolutely right. It's uh, there's I mean, so much has been asked of so many, not just in hospitality. I mean, it's it's I think we need to be very clear about that. That this has just been something that none of us have ever experienced before. And I think it, the real positive for me is, is that this kind of conversation is having is happening more often now. Mm-hmm. Is that you know people are aware of it and actually realise that you know, even when we're back to normality, whatever that is in inverted commas, you know that there's still all manner of stuff goes on in people's lives, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can catch somebody just at the wrong moment on the wrong day, you know, and that affects their ability for that, you know, a particular block of hours, or for if if left unchecked, it goes on and on and on, and I think it's just. It, it's it's a wonderful thing that that this kind of conversation is happening more often, uh, and it needs more leaders like yourself who you know to to really take the mantle on that and really be the driving force behind it and give people uh, critically the the confidence to be able to to speak up. I certainly think so, and as I said earlier, with with no shame. Yeah, it's it's please just be very open and very honest. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good, there's good signals. You know, you look at things like Institute of Hospitality, you know, they've just appointed a new CEO. And I think Peter's done a great, great job as the current, but I think Robert coming in brings a a new dynamic in terms of, you know, I don't want to be ageist, but because of his age and his, his youth and his energy, uh, you know, that, that, that takes us in a, in a slightly, you know, turns a different corner. And uh, as an industry, I hope that that's, that, that gives us that vibe that we're suddenly we're taking all these other things into consideration about what this pandemic has done. And therefore, as an industry, we can react in a certain way and we can certainly behave in a different way. Mm. I, I, and I've put that to Robert and I've said, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for you. I think that's, uh, you know, your moment couldn't be better timed. Yeah, absolutely. At the, um, I think he, he just he bridges the gap. I think between old and new for me, mm. just in terms of being old enough to have career maturity, young enough to connect with with the youngins. And I'm eminently conscious that I sound like my parents when I say that, but um, I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you try to sound cool and mention somebody oh. that's you know musically kind of relevant right now, and you just can't think of anybody. Yeah, uh, to- oh, don't even get me started. Yeah, uh, you the, say um, something like, "Do you like Ed Sheeran?" and you know the kids look at you as if to say, "Seriously?" Yes. Who? Well, I, I got told once because I used Facebook that I'm basically an old man. So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I thought I was being quite cool actually, but there we are. That shows you how disconnected. I um I told my wife I was doing this chat with you. And she said, just be very careful because, number one, you're not as funny as you think you are <laughs> and you laugh at all your own jokes. So, you know, just just be aware of that. And it reminded me of something that um, she said to me a few years ago, which was when I was thinking about my, my legacy. And I said, we've got two children. You know, when I go, what will be my legacy on my tombstone? What, 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 what do you think you'd put there? Mm bearing in mind that I've taken my kids on holidays all around the world. They've seen the world, they've traveled. I, it's opened their minds and their eyes to so many things. And she said, sarcasm. <laughs> That's your legacy right there. Apparently. Yeah. 
I said, thanks for great much. legacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, unsarcastically. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. You must be very proud. 25 years of marriage, and that's how I get summed up. <laughs> uh, it sounds like we definitely shouldn't let our wives get together because um, <laughs> I think she'd say pretty much the same thing, to be honest. <laughs> I always thought that on my headstone would just be the two words, I tried. <laughs> yes, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave, I gave it a go. You did. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, that's... What, what's yeah. the one on Spike Milligan's tomb? I said I wasn't feeling well. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sums him up, doesn't it? <laughs> Captain Tom Moore did something very, very similar. Did he? Yes, I yes. I seen that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he yeah. tried to emulate that. Anyway, we've gone from the start of my career to my tombstone. So thanks very much, Phil. That's uh, yeah. That's... Well, I mean, clearly, <laughs> de death plays a, a major part, going all the way back to your first desire as you know, as an undertaker. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Yes. Yeah, I was just looping it back. That's that's all I was doing. <laughs> very clever. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I wish I did that on purpose. But uh, anyway. I'm conscious of time, but I uh, there's a couple of things I just want to cover off quickly. Mm -hmm. One is Joe Biden, <laughs> obviously, because um, I did see a picture of you with him on there as well. And, and I suppose this is another another one of those wonderful hospitality moments is to look at the type of people that this industry puts you in front of. Indeed. Yeah, no, I was very, very lucky. I, I was invited to a reception and they said... Um, would you like to have your uh, photograph taken with Joe Biden? At the time, he was ex-vice president. And uh, yeah, I was put up on a platform. There were two other people in the picture, but I managed to make sure I was stood next to him so I could crop them out. Um, oh, very good. And then people now look at it and they go, is that in Madame Tussauds? Um, <laughs> what? No, I actually met the man. He's gone on to something bigger and better since, I think. But, I've heard uh, that. I'd had I, that. I've not been following him so much, but uh, yeah, no, good luck to him, whatever he chose to do. Yeah, um, I think he went into music, music, didn't he? That's something along those lines, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a year or so ago, our owner, Ron, couldn't come over to a ceremony at King's College because he's a benefactor of King's College. And he said, would you go? And I said, yeah, if you, if you need me to go and represent you, fine. And he said, the Queen's attending and so's um, Kate. Duchess of Cambridge. Right. And I said, uh, in which case, yes, I'll definitely go. <laughs> and um, really want to meet the Queen. I'll take it. Well, I assumed, you know, you'd just be sort of standing in some crowd and, you know, she'd walk past. And I got there and they said, um, so you'll be uh, in the lineup and uh, you're third in the line. She probably won't shake your hand, but, uh, you know, just you know, behave. Yeah. And uh, she walked in. And I'll tell you something, you just go wobbly at the knees. It's like this most extraordinary thing. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I really did. I was like, oh, my goodness, there's the queen. And she passed the two people in front of me because she knew them anyway. And mm. she stopped at me and she had a conversation. And I can't to the life of me tell you what it was about because I can't. And it just was all complete mush by the time I finished talking to her. Yeah. And, and off she moved. And then the next day I look up and Kate's standing towering over me. Towering over you? Are you? She's very, she's very, she's very tall. Is she? Is she? Mm. I, well, we've never met, so I've got no idea how tall you are. Oh, I'm, I'm average height. <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I can semi ways relate. Actually, I had a, a, I've had a run in with the, the royals before. Actually, the same royal. When I, I, I was 
brought up in an island on the west coast of Scotland called Tyree. Uh-huh. And they were launching a, a new facility for underprivileged kids to come over and do like an outward bound type trip. And it was a, a, a facility for them to stay in while they were there. And Princess Anne was the, the royal who was given the task to, to come and open this facility. So there was a big deal made of it on the island, as you would expect. And, uh, and actually back then I used to play the accordion. I mean, I couldn't get any more stereotypically Scottish, but and I was put along with, uh, I was the only male in uh, a, a group of four of us playing the accordion, and Princess Anne spoke to all the women and not me. Oh, and, that's wicked! Yeah, isn't it just? And I, that's that's still I'm not really over it. And then I um I met her again when I used to, I worked on piano cruises and uh, I was on the the pre-opening team for the Aurora which oh, back yes. then was one of their, uh, uh, you know, a, a ship in its own class at the time. So yep. Things have moved on a bit since then. And we did the the opening and she was the, the royal that had been given the task of launching the ship. And so she was doing a, a, a guided tour around. And I, back then I was working in the crew office, which is the, effectively the HR department of a cruise ship. Yep. And um, we'd been given this briefing by a member of the royal team to say, this is the etiquette. This is what you can and cannot do, and one of the things that you cannot do is put your hand out, you know, to shake hands. So what did I do? Put your hand Exa- out. Exactly that, yes. <laughs> and I didn't do it on purpose, I have to say. It's just automatic pilot. Uh, but bless her, she did actually shake my hand. Oh, well done. And then I, I said to her, you don't remember me, do you? No, I didn't do that. And, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but there is, uh, that, the, in terms of the wobbly moment for me, came whereby all of the etiquette that we'd been taught, I just, I got captured in the moment and it just completely left my head. And I didn't know really what to do, do with myself. And I was a very young man then as well. I was 21 years old and, and definitely felt a little bit out of my depth um, for a, a, a moment. So I kind of, I get where you're coming from. It's just, I don't know what it is, but it, it's, it's extraordinary. It's, very disarming. The fear of ending up in the Tower of London, that's probably what it is. Well, probably. (laughs) They say that the Queen can disarm anybody, you know, whether you're a union leader or a a socialist politician who's so anti-monarchy. And yet the moment they meet her, they start bowing and scraping and just can't get over themselves. So uh, it it is a curious fact. Yeah, I quite believe it. Yeah. So, well, you're you're opening your terrace very soon. We're uh, we're recording this. And bedrooms. Yes, on the well, we're recording this on the thirty first of March, twenty twenty one, and you're you're opening the terrace and rooms on the twelfth of April. Twelfth of April, yes, and then the rest of the hotel, restaurant, and bar on the seventeenth of May. Yeah, and so can, and, and cannot come all, soon enough. Oh yeah, for sure. All going well. What does what does the rest of the year have in store for you? Well, I think uh, we're all going to be realists, and our suspicion is there's going to be very little international travel. In yeah. which case, you know, we're all going to be playing to the staycation market, the uh, the domestic market. Uh, so we've we've gone into partnership with Harvey Nicks. So we're doing some uh, some offers with them uh, in terms of personal shopping, and you can come here and you can get styled here. So that's all on our website, and um, we're we're tying into the arts a fair bit this year. At lockdown last year, we knew that a lot of colleges in art colleges in London couldn't do their graduation ceremonies in which case they couldn't really showcase the art of the graduates. So we are showcasing around the building graduate art. We always change the art here every four or five months. 
But this time we selected to go with graduates. We're going to do another show of those in a month or so's time. But we're also going to do an artist in residence. So we're going to do this charitable run of, of, of artists coming and painting on site here just to give them a studio to work in rather than uh, being stuck at home. Mm. And um, we're also going to support a children's theatre group. So, yeah, very much tying in our relationship with the arts. Yeah, well, I, I think priority number one is to to get back off and running again, I guess, and um, and hope that uh, it's 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 a year that maintains rather than as uh, as going backwards again. We all live with that ambition that uh, you know what has been said about this is non-reversible. This is this is to stay. We have to believe that, but we mm. also have to believe that people are going to be sensible. And yeah. uh, I, uh, yeah, I've said it already. I, I just cannot foresee circumstances where the hospitality industry can really survive very much longer you know, we've mm. seen plenty plenty of businesses go under but you know cash flow is cash flow and uh, furlough has been great some of the other let-ups that, that have been provided have been great but there comes a point where you know sooner or later many businesses will just have to say you know we we, we, we cannot function anymore yeah. um, that would be desperately sad so i just really really hope that one it sticks, and two, the great British public absolutely support the industry by uh, getting out there and uh, doing what they do well, which is eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah, well, I can pretty much guarantee that they are because uh, trying to get a cottage to stay in in the new forest in August was the most ambitious thing that I think I've ever tried to achieve. I've heard that West Country as well is, is meant to be just absolutely rammed. And from a personal perspective, our terrace is fully booked for the, the first few weekends. Fantastic. Uh, which, you know, long may that continue. Yeah, absolutely. I, I must get down and, and see the property when when. Well, we're dog friendly, Phil, so you can bring the dog oh. as well. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, I, I better not tell the wife that. That's, um, you do afternoon tea as well, I think, don't you? We, we've been known to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the dog friendly afternoon teas are or what drives my wife, basically. That's quite okay. a bold statement. Um, I'll probably edit that out. But um, I was going to say, I don't yeah. want her to hear this. <laughs> Sorry, she won't listen to it anyway. She's bored of hearing my uh, my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, final question before I let you get on your merry way. Um, uh-huh. What would you say to somebody who was considering a career in hospitality? Well, on the basis that I fundamentally think my daughter is, you would say... It's something very exciting to get into, but you need to be absolutely passionate about it. Because if you're half-hearted about it, it can be very hard work. Uh, it can be quite demanding, particularly at the beginning. And therefore, you know, just be very, very true to yourself that that's absolutely what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people just think it's uh, it's an easy option. And if you're going to do well, it's not. You know, there there, there will be plenty of competition for great roles and uh, you have to shine and you have to really set yourself beyond the rest of the pack and you know I still to this day see people that think they can cruise you know even people who've come out of university think that that is their license to cruise Mm. and the people that really inspire me are the ones that come and say you know what I, I think the restaurant could do better if we did this do you mind if I just put a piece of you know, put a pen to paper and just put some thoughts on that and give it to you. And you think, you know, there's initiative. And uh, yeah. that's that's 
what I think sets people out from the crowd these days. It's those that uh, want to show some initiative, yeah. put some thought into you know how we can do things better or how we could do things differently. And I, I really welcome that. And I think back to the beginning of my career, that's probably what I was doing. I can remember being at the Cumberland Hotel and there were about 15 management trainees and you could have just gone the way of the rest if you didn't start showing that you know you've got some ideas and you want to put them into practice and this is this is how I see it being done and that sets you out above the rest and I, I still think that rings true today yeah I couldn't agree more I think there was something that resonated with me back at the beginning of our chat as well when you you talked about the opportunity to explore the world I think as well there's just this industry gives you such a phenomenal opportunity to explore yourself as well and really discover kind of who you are as a as a human the the opportunities to learn are everywhere and that you're notwithstanding what you what you learn about yourself and how how deep you can dig and and how you know innovative you can be and and all of that and i think that's all about finding the right space to be you know because there's so many different parts to hospitality it's um it's just it's a phenomenal industry i think the sad thing is that when you go to some educational establishments particularly schools it's perceived to be you know working in a pub or working in a restaurant which is what a lot of people then see as weekend work or you know, holiday work it's not a career mm. and you know you only have to turn to the states for example where you know, if you're a bartender that is a great career and that's, yeah. a, that's a profession and we've still got work to do to change hearts and minds around that. Yeah. And I think also as a sort of other learning, one of the things I see a lot at the moment is people on LinkedIn looking for work and I get approaches from people looking for work. And this is the time to be kind. And mm. when somebody asks you, reply to them. If somebody puts in an application, respond to the application. You know, just as you said to me at the beginning, I've got that box of rejection letters I'd far rather have, you know, 10 rejection letters than just be ignored by 10 people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's sometimes where we're a little bit unkind and a little bit cruel that, um, you know, people deserve at least some, some feedback or some dialogue. And I know we're all under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of work to be done. But uh, let's, let's all take that as a, as a lesson. It's time to be kind. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, that's another thing that's been polarised this year, mm. for sure. Great stuff. Well, look, thank you very, very much for um, for coming on and, and sharing your story. Some lots of really interesting things in here, as well as a, a huge amount of sarcasm, which is <laughs> which is right up my alley. <laughs> if um, if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about um, you or the, or the send property, hate mail, yeah, yeah, or another rejection letter. Um, <laughs> What's the um, what's the best method for them to do that? Uh, they can do they can they can email me directly. I have, I have no qualms about that. So it's andrew.coney at theharry Fabulous, great stuff. Well, I I wish you all the very best in in Thank reopening you, and beyond. Well, we'll see you down here at some stage. You definitely will, with or without the dog. We'll we'll determine that uh, at the appropriate moment. But I'll no, I'll definitely be definitely be popping in for sure. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Uh, you go and feed that dog now. Yeah. Oh, she'll be she'll be fast asleep now. Just <laughs> listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and you that. said I was the sarcastic one. Yeah. Yeah, good night, Phil. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs>
<laughs> oh dear. Uh, yes. Well, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love you too. <laughs> nice one. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. And there we have it. A fabulous and evolving story so far from Andrew demonstrating the benefits this wonderful industry can bring you when you remain open on location. We wish Andrew and his team all the very best through full reopening and beyond. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>